Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Ben Simkin with me. Ben is a business growth specialist who started BusinessNet, which helps businesses generate leads. Ben's company helped increase their clients' businesses by almost $1 billion. In the following interview, we're going to talk about methods used to help grow business quickly. Instead of focusing on vanity metrics like traffic, Facebook likes, or Twitter followers, we're going to focus on real business metrics like sales and revenue. Very excited to have Ben on Success Harbor today. Welcome. Hi, George. It's uh, awesome to be on this podcast today. Thank you very much uh, for being here, uh, Ben. And, and where where are you? Uh, we're in uh, San Diego, California. You're a little bit away uh, far from us. Yeah, I'm in sunny Queensland, Brisbane in Australia. So uh, definitely a, about a 14-hour flight plus a couple of hours drive away from you. <laughs> wow, that's, 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 that's great to have you. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this, uh, to this interview. So thanks for being here, Ben. Great to be here. So let's talk about uh, what were you doing prior to starting BusinessNet? What is your business background? My business background is quite, I think, interesting in that when I started my company, I had no idea about business. I had no idea about marketing. My family is not entrepreneurial at all. Um, The way that it came about really is when I was from the age of 13, I was actually a computer programmer. I was writing software and video games in my spare time. And um, and through my through my travels, I ended up meeting somebody at the age of 16 who said, you should really go out on your own and start your own company. But it wasn't until a few years later when I turned 20 years old that I decided to really take the jump and quit my job. And I started my own um, software and an IT company. And, I, you know, being really good at computers, I thought, Hey, this this can't be too hard. But when I realized, you know, I had I had to pay for staff, I had to pay for offices and and all the expenses that came with it, I quickly realized that I was going backwards really quickly because I didn't know how to get customers, I didn't know how to how to grow the business or even run the business for that matter. So it was really a stressful time for me when I, in my early twenties, when where all of my other friends were just going out partying, I was sitting in the office at one o'clock in the morning on Saturday. Uh, stressing how you know what do I do? But- so quit back then. Like it's, it's really difficult, you know. Like you mentioned that your friends were partying, having a good time, uh, and there you were, uh, mostly I would imagine by yourself, uh, trying to figure things out. Uh, One a.m. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good question. You know, I, I never. What what, what, dro- what drove you? I never once thought about quitting. You know, I, I'm the kind of person who wants to figure out. Know, when I was 13, I wanted to figure out how to write software. So it's just like one of those things. I'll get all these textbooks out from the from the library and just trying to never give up on it. And then when I was 20, I was like, you know, I really want to start my own company. Um, I really want to get somewhere in life. You know, I came from a, uh, I wouldn't say a poor family, but definitely not, not a family that, that could really afford anything outside of groceries and, and um, you know, paying the house off and things like that. So I was really from, I guess, from a... a a family that really couldn't afford much, I didn't want to have that life for myself. So I wanted to fight as hard as I could to really try and get somewhere in life. And, and giving up was, it was never going to be an option for me. So what were some of the, the mistakes that you have made early on? I mean, you, you, you started that business. Uh, you, you mentioned IT and software. Uh, you were like 20. Uh, and you mentioned that you didn't really know what you were doing. You knew 
the, the technical stuff, but running a business, you, you didn't. So what were some of the mistakes that you have made? Yeah, some of the mistakes that I've made, and I don't regret making them because they've taught me some valuable lessons. But I think some of the biggest lessons that I've learned are things to do with money, finance, and, and marketing. So when I went in on my own, I was basically acquiring stuff. I was getting bigger offices. I was getting more staff. I was paying. I was buying um, cars and, and other things and, and all these overheads. And I was creating all these liabilities for myself that I had to, that I had to um, pay every month. And then, you know, it was a real struggle to come up with all this money. So one of the biggest lessons, I think, is to be able to leverage what you've already got. And, and that's another thing I'm going to talk about later on. I started my second company, BusinessNet, with just $1,500 I took out of the bank to start my second company. Just $1,500. Um, and I was able to turn that company into a, a multi-million dollar company. So... That was really one of the big lessons for me. You know, when I had my first company, I wasn't really making that much money in the whole scheme of things. Um, in my in my second year of business, I made about a hundred grand, but mo most of that money was all spent on on overheads and other things that I was that I had to pay for. And so at the end of the day, I didn't have a lot to show for it. Um, so I think that's, okay. that's one of the big things. I think is make sure you keep your liabilities and overheads as low as you can. Okay, so kind of live below your means, to speak. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you've got to you've got to minimize the risk that you take on as much as possible. Um, having been in business for so long, you know, twelve years now, business I see is something that isn't is not a secure thing. I see it's quite volatile, and and anything could happen. You could lose you could lose everything overnight. You don't know, so you've got to really be in a position where if something bad happens, that you can recover from it. And I think that's really critical. You know, if, if something bad happened to me right now, I would have, have enough money to last me, you know, maybe a couple of years So um, to run the company and all that kind of stuff. So it's really one of those things you've got to set yourself up so that you're not living day to day or week to week and not having to rely on, hey, I've got to get money in before next Friday, otherwise I'm in trouble. And having that yeah. lifestyle is a really bad, bad thing for you to be in. It's funny because we hear this, you know, it's kind of a middle class thing. You know, you get out of college, you get a job, you buy a car, and then you, you get promoted, then you buy a BMW, and then you get promoted, and you buy a house. And then, you know, we kind of do that sometimes in business too. You know, you get a larger office than you need, you hire more people that you really can afford, uh, you invest money in things that you don't really need to invest money in. But because your business is growing, you feel pressure to do all those things. Yeah, you do, and, and you look at other people, and you're trying to emulate what other people are doing. And the problem with that is the people that you're emulating typically don't know what they're doing either. And so you're copying off either your competitor or somebody that you know on how they're running their business. And more often than not, they're just making the same mistakes as you are, and you're copying off those mistakes. I think you've really got to be really careful about who you look up to and who you emulate and really ask yourself, is that person extremely successful? And if not, then I wouldn't be copying what they're doing in their business or in their life. So today, uh, you know, having experience, uh, if you look at, you know, with everything that you learned in business, who do you look up to? Who do you think uh, or what, what are the qualities that you look for? In a, in a business or an entrepreneur that you think, yeah, that person, you know, got their stuff right as opposed to the way you were when you started back when you were in your 20s? Yeah, I mean, definitely 
taking insights. You know, when I was able to turn my my first company around from struggling to being extremely successful, I was looking to people who I who I knew immediately who were extremely successful. I, I met a guy um, when I was in my mid twenties who he he was he he had his office in his garage, so he had his, he had his car parked in in his garage, and he had a computer in there, and he was making over a million dollars in profit just from <laughs> from that. And then I had this big office, I had like eight staff, I had all these expenses, and I wasn't making anywhere near that amount. And I was like, what? This is crazy. And I, I observed him, and I spent a lot of time hanging out with him, going to you know lunch with him, and learning as much as I could about him. And other clients as well who I met were making hundreds of millions of dollars from their house and and just crazy things like that. And I was like, well, I've got to look at this because I'm doing all these things which which people say, you know, the right thing to do, having an office and all these staff and and having all this the presence, but not making anywhere near as much as these people who are working from their house and making tens of millions of dollars. So I really took on, adopted those people as as my mentors and, and emulated what they were doing. Another big shout out um, in my life, Jay Abraham has definitely been one of the critical factors in my success, and he's—I could probably say that he's my mentor um, in my in my life. So definitely, his his teachings have have made a massive impact on how I run my business. So let's talk about getting your first customers. And, and I, what I'd like you to do is if you could draw kind of a contrast, uh, comparison contrast between your your first attempt in business, um, you know, your IT company, and by the time you started BusinessNet, what was, how was it different, your approach in terms of getting customers? That's a good question. Um, in my first business, going into it, I was... I ran a business that was outside of my control in that I wasn't able to generate clients on my own. I had to wait for word of mouth and I had to wait for people to either find me somehow and call me up. And more often than not, that didn't happen. And when I got a referral, I was extremely happy. But when it didn't happen, I was stressed out. And so I ran a business that I had no control over how to generate leads, sales or clients. And that was really one of the big things that really meant, meant that I was not successful or making money in that business. You know, move, fast forwarding to BusinessNet, you know, I, the, the, I, the premise of that business is being able to generate as many clients as you want and sales as you want on demand. And that's what we do for ourselves and that's what we do for our clients. So we're able to go into a company and be able to generate as many clients as they want. A company will come to us and they'll say, we want to generate an extra million dollars over the next 18 months. And we're able to put a system in place to be able to do that. Whereas in my first business, I wanted to make millions of dollars, but I had no control over that. And, it, and subsequently, it didn't happen. I didn't make as much money as I wanted to. So let's, let's talk about uh, services because uh, most businesses in the U.S. service business, so... I focus on serving businesses, but I'm sure what we're going to talk about would apply to to other businesses too. You know, what you mentioned the importance of rewriting advertising copy. What is missing from the advertisements for some of the businesses that you've been working with in the past that just kind of kind of sticks out right at you? Yeah, that's a good one. Rewriting your advertising copy is critical. If you if you took the the plot line of a company a company's growth that had an advertisement 
that was generating 10 clients for every 100 people that read the ad. So they acquired 10 clients for every 100 people that read the advertisement. And then you had another ad that cost the exact same amount of money, but the words were different and the message was different. And it was generating 20 clients for every 100 people that was looking at the ad. So double what the original ad was generating. And if you look at those, and if you could plot the growth of the company based upon those two examples over, a, say, a 10-year period, the results are tremendous. You're talking, you know, millions of dollars in, in difference in terms of losing money if you don't look at that. So the, it's so critical for you to, to review your ad and be able to generate and uh, create an ad that's going to be able to generate the maximum amount of clients as possible. Because at the end of the day, whether your advertisement's on Facebook, in the newspaper, or on Google, anywhere, the ad is going to cost the exact same amount of money no matter what you say in it, no matter what words you use and what your message is. So you want to have a message that's really strong to be able to generate as many clients as possible because even short-term, the results are tremendously different. You know, we, we um, recently, we had a client who wanted to um, pit us against another a uh, digital agency. Our results were 30 times better than the other company. So even in a, in a three-week campaign, we were able to generate 30 times the results. Now, if you look at that over, say, a five-year period, that's a tremendous um, difference in opportunity cost. So it's definitely very critical. And, you know, the I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, can you give us like one example? Uh, you don't have to mention the name of a company, but maybe one example that made a big difference. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. I'll be able to do that. So it really comes down to who you're writing for. And this is a really good example because I was just reviewing, um, reviewing a, a marketing piece about half an hour ago. And it's of this, this, um, this guru who calls himself a guru trying to sell um, a, a workshop that's coming up uh, for $800 a ticket. And his landing page in his video, he's talking about himself the whole time. I did this. I'm this good. We, we, you know, we are the, the best. I'm, I'm so good. And but the problem with that is your target audience does not care about you. They care about themselves. So when you're creating marketing, you've got to really put yourself in your client's shoes and think about what are the things that they're worried about? What are the things they're frustrated about? What are the things they want to achieve? And how can I help them? And talk about that stuff. Don't talk about, you know, you, you got a degree from Harvard and you did this and you did that. Because nobody cares about that. They only care about how you can solve their problem or how you can help them achieve their goal and really create your marketing with that kind of message. So with that example we would completely delete all of that marketing and we would create it from scratch. And we would talk about, you know, what the workshop is going to be able to solve in their life and be able to avoid frustrations and all of those different factors. And um, to give you an example, I did, a, um, I did a workshop of my own last year and we were able to sell out the entire workshop in less than two weeks. It was double the price. It was $1,500 a ticket. We were able to sell out the entire thing within two weeks um, with about $300 in advertising. And so the reason why that is, we just focused on what participants and the attendees would get out of the day. And by doing that, we were able to provide much, you know, an enormous value and be able to generate 
tons of sales just from doing that. So I would imagine when you go into a company, you know, the idea of getting more sales sounds very appealing to these businesses. But when you start changing things around, I would imagine you get some pushback. So how do you deal with that and how do you do that without you know, getting fired, so to speak, because you're kind of like a coach, right? But you have to keep your job while you're helping your, your client. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And, you know, we're in a good position, having done this for nine years, we're in a position where where we are the ones that, that would fire a client. They wouldn't fire us. We go in there preeminently and pretty much have full reign of what we're doing. We tell them how it should roll. And, you know, when, when we do get pushback, because we do get pushback, we have to sit them down and go, well, you've brought us in here to double or triple your company, correct? And they say, yes, of course. And we say, so you need to let us do our job the way that we do it because we're not here to do anything except achieve the result for you. And if that means you don't want us to do a specific thing in the company, but we know for a fact that it's going to affect your results dramatically, then you know that can't happen. So we need to be able to have full control over that but I guess the process has to come down to the relationship that you have with the client as well. And also, they've got to know that you have their best interests at heart, that you will only ever do anything that's ethical, and you have rules that you, that you follow to make sure that everybody is, um, is looked after. So not only us, the client, but also their clients as well. So everybody has to be, obviously, that has to come into, into play as well. And if they know that you have their best interest at heart, then they're going to pretty much let you do almost anything that you want them to do, whether it be rewriting their advertising, changing their offer, changing their business model, all those different kinds of things that need to happen in order for a company to flourish. So we just uh, talked about advertising Let's talk about joint vendor opportunities. So let's say uh, you know a web designer, or it could be an IT company, or almost you know any kind of service business. Let's say a B two B service company. Uh, what kind of joint venture opportunities could such a company have, and how would they go about implementing it? Yeah, I mean, I think there's an enormous amount of opportunities, and if you look at the Fortune 500 companies in America something like 97% of those rely heavily on joint ventures to generate their, their, their income. So if you think about the, the most successful companies in the United States are relying on joint ventures heavily, then you as a small business owner or a medium-sized business owner should be really tapping into that market as well. And it's really the thing that's going to be able to um, get the results for you. The, the most expensive thing for you as a business owner is to go after new clients who've never heard of you, who don't know what you sell, don't know the benefits and the value of what it is that you provide. So what you want to do is you want to be able to access and leverage other people's relationships to be able to generate clients. You know, a perfect example of this is, um, you know, of the company Cirque du Soleil, the, they do the, the shows, right? Yeah. Yeah. They do, they, their entire business model is this. They will do the only way they get clients is through joint ventures. They will go into a, an existing um, premise, so things like um, casinos. They will go in there. They will leverage their assets. So we're looking at real estate assets, um, staff, all those kinds of things. The second thing they'll do is they'll leverage the, the customer base of that casino. So what they're doing is essentially they're doing an enormous joint venture with the casino to get more customers 
who are already customers of that premises already. So they don't have to go out and do Facebook ads and do direct mail and do um, Google ads to get to get customers. All they have to do is go into um, and, and do a joint venture with a company to provide them with, with clients. It's definitely a very powerful way. And if you look at that company, they're a multi-million dollar company. Their, the valuation of that company is, is enormous. And that's how they get their clients. You know, a lot of small business owners will just focus on things like Google AdWords, uh, Facebook referral, uh, re referrals, word of mouth, things like that. But they're so unleveraged that it costs so much money to use those platforms to get um, customers um, and be able to do that. So for Cirque du Soleil, you know, I mean, at least today, everybody knows what Cirque du Soleil is. And, you know, they stand for this awesome, uh, you know, circus shows that is pretty much a global brand. But, you know, for a small business that nobody knows of, uh, that maybe offers a service that is not nearly as sexy as, uh, as a circus act, um, what advice do you have for those to try to identify good adventure, joint venture opportunities? It's a good one. The way to identify a really good joint venture partner is to think about your target audience and think about who is my target audience, number one. And number two, you've got to think about who does my target audience use before, after, or during my service. So if you want to pick out an example, uh, for example, if I mow lawns for, for a business, is it a really basic example? Who does my target audience use before, after, and during? You know, I've got so many different things there. I've got, you know, house cleaners, I've got pool guys, I've got landscape designers, I've got so many different um, um, options available to me where my target audience transacts with all these other companies as well before, after, and during what my, with my service as well. So you've got to think about that. So that's how you identify and you, you write a list of all those people and you find companies and people that you can, you can contact. The third thing you've got to really look at is putting yourself in the shoes of your joint venture, potential joint venture partner, and look at what their goals are and what their fears are. You know, their goals obviously is to make more money. They can make more money by doing a joint venture with you if you pay them to introduce you to new clients. Obviously, that's, that's what a joint venture essentially is. But secondly, you've got to look at the other factors. Do they fear anything by doing business with me that way? You know, they might think that, oh, this guy... Uh, might let my clients down by doing a poor job. He might rip them off. He might lie to them. He might do this, that, or the other thing. So you've got to really think about how can I overcome those fears and those reservations in my joint venture partner? You know, it might be something as simple as proving to that person that you could do a really good job. So doing a free trial or doing a, a discounted um, service for that joint venture partner to prove to them that you are a legitimate ethical business owner. So there's different ways to do that, overcome those fears. And so you, when you approach a joint venture partner, then you can, you can be prepared and overcome all of those objections before they even raise them. That's, that's a really good point. Let's talk about online marketing a little bit. Which online marketing funnels do you find to be the most effective today for small businesses? It seems to me that pay-per-click, for example, has become too expensive for most small businesses, especially in the last few years. You know, I mean, most small businesses, you know, can't really afford to pay thirty, fifty, forty dollars, whatever it is, you know, um, for a click. So, I don't know if you have 
what is your experience with pay-per-click or if you have other advice for trying paper, I mean, uh, online marketing for uh, small businesses? Yeah, that's a good one. Well, I've got a lot of experience in, in pay-per-click um, doing that for a lot of different companies. You know, we work with mid-sized companies who are happy to drop $100,000 on PPC in, in the space of a couple of weeks. But we work with a lot smaller companies as well who, whose budget's a lot smaller than that and might only be able to spend, you know, files a month or whatever. So when it comes to, you know, asking yourself or really ruling out PPC in your business, I think the problem is not an expense problem. I think it's a profit problem. You need to have a business that makes enough profit from your customers to be able to afford to invest in advertising because... At the end of the day, if you don't invest in advertising, then you can't. You have no control over your business growth. You, ha- you can't say to yourself, I want to generate another million dollars in my company or, or $200,000 in my company and be able to achieve that if you're relying on word of mouth or referrals because referrals will come and go. You can't control that aspect. But with paid advertising, you can really drive business growth and you can really make sure that you generate those sales and leads whenever you want them on demand. So you've got to really look at, number one, how do you increase your profit per customer? It might not be on the upfront sale. It might be over, say, a three-year period. You might be able to bring, get your customers to come back to you more often over the next three years, for example, or buy more products and services from you. So number one, you've got to look at how do you maximize the profit per customer. If you're only making $50 per customer, work out how to make $150 over the next, say, two years from that customer. There's different ways to do that. You can incentivize them to come back in. You can do all sorts of things. And secondly, with pay-per-click advertising, we've got to look at what are the platforms where my target audience is on. You know, things like Google obviously is one way, but it's not the only way. You've got Facebook. You know, Facebook is such a powerful Facebook. It's a powerful medium. We've generated over $5 million in sales just through Facebook marketing and advertising alone. So it's a quite quite a powerful tool. And if you're not using it and your competitor is using it, then it's it's not a good thing for you. So you've got to really get onto those things and make sure that you either research it and learn it yourself or get a mentor to help you um, do it for you. So you mentioned using content marketing on, on your website. And I think everybody agrees with you on the power of content marketing. Um, but I was wondering if you could share maybe some, because there are two big components to content marketing. There is the content creation part, and I think a lot of people really get that a lot more than the actual content promotion part. And I was wondering if you could spend a little bit of time talking about you know, better ways or the more effective ways of, of promoting your content once you have created it. Yeah. When you approach content marketing, I think you've got to really think about and step away from the computer for a minute and think about the strategy behind what it is that you're trying to achieve. What you're really trying to achieve is to create a relationship with your target audience, number one. Number two, obviously, they have to get to know you. But number three, it's really all about making sure you're providing value to them before you're asking them for something. So what I mean by value I'm talking about things like being able to help them achieve results in advance before they even talk to you. So if you can re- if you can create a blog article on how to achieve a certain goal or avoid some problem in their life, 
and they read that and they implement it or they even just imagine implementing it, then that's going to give them enormous value. They're going to be happy to read the next blog article that you put out. That's really number one. Number two, I was just going to be entertaining as well, and you've got to look at other things. How do you, how do you engage with them? You know, you look at um, TV's a really good example where you've got a mix of different things. You've got content. Now, arguably, maybe not as good, not, not good content as, as you would like, but they're entertaining as well. You've got, to be, you've got to keep that in mind as well because if you're a boring, you know, a tax accountant talking about, you know, how to, how to um, get an extra 1% on your, on, your, on your investment or something boring like that, it's valuable, yes, but is it entertaining? Probably not. So you've got to be really, um, keep, keep that in mind. Keep them engaged. So when you are providing somebody with value, helping them achieve maybe three or four different things in their life before you even talk to them, and then you put out an offer to say, hey, let's do business, let's, do, let's take it to the next step, and then you go into a, a, a part of the relationship where they're actually giving you money, that's a natural next step. If I come up to you in the street and ask you to give me $1,000, and you don't know my name, you don't know what I'm, what I'm about, then it's, it's, it's a much harder transaction. If I've already started helping you achieve results along, your, along the way, then the, the transaction or the step between being a non-paying customer and a paying customer, is there's a lot less friction there. Um, referrals uh, have, have come up already during, during our, our conversation, and I think everybody agrees that referrals are one of the good ways or, or better ways to grow a business. Can you give us some advice on increasing the effectiveness of our referral systems? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this this referral question could warrant warrant you know another three or four hours on this podcast, but we'll no. give you maybe <laughs> a couple of things. <laughs> Number one, now with referrals, a lot of people will go out and say, "Well, I want to incentivize my customers to give me," and they'll go and offer this thing. And they'll say, I'll give you $100 if you refer a customer to me. And this is, what, this is the offer that they give to their existing customers. The problem with that is you've got to think about, again, from their point of view. If I, Let's say I, I'm at a gym and they're offering me $100 to refer my friends. Now, I'm not going to refer my friends by, from that because I feel like I'm, I'm disadvantaging my, my friends or I'm making money off my friends. It, feel, it feels kind of grubby, right? Mm-hmm. A better strategy would be to do something like this where you would offer your clients' friends and referrals a special deal, a discount, or a VIP access to something, something of benefit to that person rather than to your client. Because if I can go to my friends and say, hey, if you sign up through me, you'll get access to a, a lifetime discount of 20% or something like that. And I'm going to feel good about helping my friends out. And so I'm going to get a lot more referrals if I'm doing it like that rather than trying to um, tell my clients, hey, make money off your friends and family. It's a much better strategy. So really think about how does your target client think and really be congruent with that. Yeah, that makes makes so much sense. Um, it just makes you think differently about referrals altogether. Um, that's a really good point. Now, let's talk about 
business net and and maybe the way I I like to kind of introduce. I mean, we talk about what uh, what business net does a little bit, but maybe if you can give us one or two examples of businesses that you have helped uh, and and how you helped uh, help those businesses, so people get a, kind of an idea of what business net does. Yeah, it's good. I'll give you two examples. Um, Number one, our very first client that we took on board, when I, when I started this company up, you know, I remember I invested $1,500 to start this company up. The very first client I took on board was a $35 million a year company. So they were generating $35 million on average per year. And they've been in business since 1980. So in business for so long. And I went into that business and we looked at the different opportunities for them to grow. Uh, they were doing newspaper advertising and a few other things as well. And we looked at it and we looked, well, online marketing would be a really good way for you to leverage what you're currently doing. You know, your, your newspaper ad is already making, you know, $30 million plus a year. Imagine if we used that marketing and we put it on essentially steroids and put it on the online marketing and used that to grow the company. So we, we ended up growing that company from 35 mil up to $115 million a year. In, in less than four and a half years. So we, we tripled the company, uh, even more than that, just by taking one leverage point and using that to grow the company. So we basically helped them, you know, not to go deeper in the same area, but just help them discover new air marketing channels, basically. Exactly. So when we go into a company, we don't go in and say one size fits all, we're going to do a website, we're going to do Facebook marketing, we're going to do this because that's what we always do. We'll go into the company, we look at where's the leverage point. What is the, what is the one thing or the three things that are going to really skyrocket your results? In that case, all we have to do is really translate his success from the real world onto the online world. And that more than tripled the company. You know, it, it, didn't, have to, it didn't have to be complicated. We just did the thing that was working and really just amplified that. Um, I'll give you another example. Uh, another company I met actually was about to go broke within probably a few weeks. They'd lost all of their investor money. They had, they had lost half a million dollars in the previous year. I met with the 12 directors of that company who were basically ready to throw in the towel. And I met with them and I said, here, we can do things. We can grow the company. Um, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money, but we can do this. So they had to actually redraw from their mortgages to ask for my fee to get me in. That's how that's how broke they were. So they had to actually get a loan to do it. And what we did was we looked at a few different things. Look at obviously the marketing was pretty critical. But other things to do with the offer, what was what were they offering to the marketplace? How they were offering it? What were their what was their business model? And how were they generating um, profit? So we had to look at all these different things because obviously it was a really sick company. We had to look at about five things to fix. So one by one, we fixed all those um, underlying problems. And the fifth thing that we did was we put them on uh, and we started doing Facebook marketing for them. And we, within 12 months, we took that company from zero to $10 million. So, and, and for the last five years, they've been able to generate uh, between uh, 10 and $15 million uh, consistently every year just by doing Facebook marketing and also obviously having the underlying principles all laid out in their business as well. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty incredible. 
Um, ben, I want to thank you for uh, coming on Success Harvard today and share your wisdom. If somebody wants to read more about uh, the way your company helps businesses, find out more about you or connect with you, where do where should they go? That's a, that's um, what they can do is they can either jump on Facebook and, and type my name Ben Simkin, or they could go to businet.com.au um, and connect with me on there and get obviously get free training and, and look at my blog articles. You know, talking about content marketing, we're creating blog blog articles and reports that people can can implement right away in their business and be able to generate, you know, maybe even double their business just by the free information we're giving out. So definitely check out businessnet.com.au and uh, and connect with me there. I also include a link show notes for everybody for for the URL. So Ben, uh, thank you very much uh, for coming on Success Harbor. I wish you much success with with uh, BusinessNet, and I thank thank you and thank everybody for listening today. Thanks a lot, George. Bye. Bye.